Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode three of Phoenix Resurrects Lapsed, where we're talking about, well, the third issue of Phoenix Resurrection, The Return of Jean Grey. We're about at the halfway point, or I guess we're exactly at the halfway point, considering that this uh, series has five issues. So uh, at some point in this third issue, we will be at the exact halfway point of this uh, miniseries event. So let's get right into it. This is, of course, The Phoenix Resurrection, The Return of Jean Grey, number three, which had a March 2018 cover date. The story is called Book Three, A Constellation of the Mall, written by Matthew Rosenberg with pencils by Joe Bennett, inks by Lorenzo Ruggiero, colors Rachel Rosenberg, letters VCs Travis Lanham, edits Robinson Harrington, Shan Panizia, and no longer Alonzo, this is uh, C.B. Sobolski's first... Uh, First outing for us in uh, the editor-in-chief chair here, so I guess that seat change happened very early in 2018. I'd totally forgotten when it actually took place. It felt like it was both much longer ago and far more recent than that. Don't know. Anyway, cover price, $3.99. Went on sale January 10th of 2018. And uh, we open pretty hot here. Jean Grey, still in her waitress outfit, is attempting to land a shuttle, or at least traverse it through waves of radiation and flame. She winds up underwater and is slowly drowning. Initially, she calls out for help to Scott, to anyone who can hear her. But then she sort of just resigns herself to the fact that, uh, yeah, she's about to die. Just then, the scene shifts, and Jean, still in her waitress uniform, is laid passed out on the floor of a grocery store after having stumbled into a stack of glass bottles full of, I don't know, maybe water, maybe something else. Really doesn't matter. It's wet. That's, that's what does matter. Uh, she's surrounded by a group of people, a few of whom are fairly recognizable as folks that we ought to know. I probably I really should get this out of the way here. Um, the art in this issue... Maybe isn't up to the standard that we, you know, that we've been seeing in the previous two issues. I'm not sure if this is a rush job. Uh, considering this was a weekly series, that can certainly happen. But it does make it a little bit tougher to point out some of the more obscure cameos here, um, if in fact they are. Uh, the folks that I think I can recognize here are Gateway and a purple-headed woman, a purple-haired woman. She doesn't have a purple head. Her hair is purple, and I'm guessing that's either Betsy or Quanan. I'm not sure uh, who had which gimmick back in the turn of 2018, so probably one of them. Not sure which. They all seem to know Jean, and they tell her to remain calm while they fetch Dr. Reyes to come take a look at her. But Jean panics a bit, pulls herself up, and rushes toward the door. 
From here, it's our double-page spread of credits, and then we get back into comics with a father and son fishing on Jamaica Bay. And, you know, I was going to make a joke about fishing on Jamaica Bay, but apparently it is quite the happening fishing spot. Who knew? Uh, Anywho, they talk about how much they love fishing, but also how they're kind of bummed out that uh, they haven't caught anything just yet. Just then, they notice that it's uh, getting a bit warmer. And then, a bunch of dead fish start floating to the surface, followed by a bit of bubbling on the water's surface, uh, from which bursts, well, you know, a, a giant flaming bird. The father and son swim away from the capsized wreckage of their tiny little boat, both proclaiming that... Eh, maybe fishing just isn't so much their thing anymore. From here, we jump back to the elsewhere. Gene is rushing out of the grocery store, which is called Hammer Bay. Now, this is a reference to the capital city of Genosha. She rushes past an employee arranging shopping carts who... I'm not sure if we're supposed to recognize him. Um, he's bald, which... I, I, don't, I don't know. We, we do know a few prominent bald fellas, right? Doesn't look like Xavier, though. Uh, If anything, he looks more like Darwin from the Deadly Genesis team. His head is a bit lumpy. Maybe it's Caliban? Like old-school X-Factor-era emaciated Caliban? Then again, I mean, you know me. I I look for things where they may not be, so for all I know, this is just nobody. Anyway, Jean fumbles with her keys, and she struggles to start her car. The bald cart guy checks on her to see if she's okay, and as much as she turns the key the car won't start. From here, we jump back to reality, and we join an amalgamated Colorforms X-Men team as they investigate the Cockrum Hill Cemetery. And I'm pretty sure I don't need to point out that reference, right? Uh, Now, Kitty points out that the incidents of Phoenix-level weirdness are happening more and more frequently. And now, without the aid of Cerebro, they're going to actually have to pound some pavement to do their investigation. Now, Beast keeps referring to the entity behind all this weirdness as an it, which causes Danny Moonstar uh, to pause a bit. She's all, hey, you know, if it's Jean, it's not an it, it should be a she. To which Beast is not completely sold just yet, and would prefer not to get his hopes up. Finally, they reach the gravesite of Mrs. Gray Summers, and what they find is, well, an open and empty casket. So I'm guessing it's not the greatest of groundskeepers employed at Cockrum's, huh? Because, I mean, an open grave just there in the middle of a, you know, the great wide open, that's something you'd think they'd notice. Now, this answers only some of the X-Men's questions. Well, maybe even less than that. Uh, they're still psychically blind, as all their psychics are still missing, and Cerebro is, as mentioned, still down. Now, Beast presses Kitty for some suggestions, to which she actually has one. There is a certain psychic that she's going to be calling on. Any guesses as to who that might be? Eh, well, we won't have to wait long. We're going to find out very soon. But first, back to elsewhere. Jean is having her car looked at by a Mr. Patch. You know, the owner of uh, Logan Tire and Auto. Yeah, that guy. She's overly concerned about this because her car has never given her problems before. It's never broken down. Mr. Patch doesn't think it's quite that big a deal. I mean, it is an old car, and this happens from time to time. It stands to reason, right? Jean, however, cannot stop worrying. And I tell you, I like this. I like this. It's subtle. But it's like a real like sign that whatever control that Jean might have over elsewhere, it might be starting to crumble here. I, I mean, if she can no longer keep even her construct car going, what does that mean for the actual world she seems to have manifested around her? 
right? There's, there's cracks in this foundation, and, and I like the way that they're doing this. Now, Jean laments the fact that she feels as though she's on a downswing, you know, luck-wise. It's just been a bad few days, weeks, months even. Logan can't relate. He suggests that Jean needs, uh, she needs either a stiff drink or a stiff man. Which, I mean, as far as lines go, I've heard worse. I might have to keep that one in my back pocket for use at a later date. Now, Jean freaks out and winds up psychically hurling Mr. Patch across the garage. She immediately apologizes, which confuses our hairy little pervert mechanic. He says, hey, it was an earthquake. You have nothing to apologize for. Jean notices that Logan is hurt, but the healing factor, uh, he's A-OK just as quick. Now we jump back to the X-Men. Now they're at the Beaumont Hotel in London. Kitty and her crew are here to chat up that certain psychic. And I tell you, this is a, a bit of an underwhelming reveal, at least to me. A, because it's obvious. And B, because I wasn't aware that this character was estranged from the team in the first place. It's Emma Frost, by the way. Uh, Kitty informs Emma that Jean is back. To which, Emma reveals that, uh, duh, I already know that. She mentions that she had a run-in with the Phoenix not too long ago. And a helpful editorial footnote points us over to Jean Grey number 10 for all the deets. Kitty asks if Emma can provide any assistance in the search. To which, Emma's like, there's not going to be a search because Emma knows exactly where Jean is hanging out. And she goes on to tell the X-Men that Jean is somewhere in New Mexico. Now, Kitty asks how Emma could possibly know any of that. And we learn that sometimes, while Emma and Cyclops were, well, banging, that his mind would wander, and he'd think about Jean and a plateau in New Mexico. And so Emma's certain that that's where Jean is currently hiding out, or doing whatever it is that she's doing there. So how about we go back there? Let's go back. And it's nighttime in the elsewhere, and Jean is walking home. Uh, she suddenly feels as though she's being followed, and so gets a bit of a spring in her step. It's soon pretty clear that, yes, she is being followed. Chased, in fact. Jean arrives home and locks the door behind her, but that ain't about to stop her pursuer. Before long, the entire place is bathed in flame, and we come to see that she's being chased by Phoenix. This is the green costume Phoenix, who thinks it's about time they sat down for a chat. Now, New Mexico. Kitty's led her team to uh, what appears to be a barren wasteland. There's literally nothing here. Like, nothing even on the horizon, even. They all look around, growing increasingly annoyed that Frost sent them on what appears to be a wild goose chase. Now, Kitty, after looking around, gathers the troops and tells everyone that uh, they're not going to waste any more of their time here. To which, Magic begins to feel something strange. And with that, she swipes with her soul sword, which appears to cut into the fabric of reality itself, revealing a great big glowing bubble that fills the canyon below. Looks like they might have just found their target, but we won't know that until next issue. So how about we talk about everything we learned here in uh, The Return of Jean Grey number three. I'll start by asking a question. Um, have I already made the slow burn joke? Probably. I, I mean, I'm not that creative a guy, so I probably did. But yes, Phoenix Resurrection continues its slow burn toward its climax. I'm going to concede that this might be a little too slow for some, but I'm having an absolute blast with it. And I'm actually reading this in as close to like real time as I can figure it, which is to say 
This was a weekly comic back in, you know, 2018. And I'm reading these issues one per week. And I'm finding that the pacing is pretty great for a weekly book. And with each issue I finish, I can't wait to get the next one in my lap here. Um, Which, I mean, that's a win, right? That's the way these books ought to feel, right? I'm guessing that should this story be read in Collected Edition, it'd probably have a really, really good flow to it. And I'm finding that it has a really good flow week to week. But, again, this might be too slow for some folks. My main takeaway here, which I did touch upon during our synopsis, was uh, Jean's reaction to the fact that she couldn't start her car. I think we pretty much know by now that the Elsewhere is a Jean Grey construct, right? I mean, we're at least 90% sure at this point. Uh, we know that there's a bubble in a canyon, all this stuff. These these people whose Jean has surrounded herself with are people that she knows. It, it, this is her world, right? Now, last issue, we started to see Jean sort of come around, like bust out of the delusion, until she was distracted, which snapped her right back into her reality. And here, in the third issue, we see her not having control over objects in this world that, up until this point, she'd always had. I mean, if you created your own reality, would there ever be a time in it where you would have to deal with car trouble? Probably not, right? So to me, this is a pretty big sign that either Jean's losing control of or synchronicity with this elsewhere. Though I will say, the scene between Jean and Mr. Patch, uh, even in a dream reality, I'm never going to come around to this pairing. Um, Though, I will tell you one thing, Mr. Patch sure is a sweet talker, isn't he? That was a pretty good line about a stiff man. Anyway, it was a... Into the real world here, it was nice seeing Beast being portrayed as more of a friend trying to digest and process loss than as a, you know, mad scientist like we've been seeing him of late. Because if you are following the shows on this channel, you know that we've been shoulders deep in Dawn of X, where Beast is high up on the list of the worst characters going, right? So it's nice to have a reminder of how good this guy can be. Uh, His reluctance to refer to the phoenix as a her rather than an it makes a lot of sense, right? He doesn't want to get his hopes up, nor does he want to attribute any potential, you know, fiery incidents to his friend. Uh, The Emma Frost reveal, as mentioned, was a little bit underwhelming for me personally. Again, that's no fault of the story. I just didn't see it as a big shock or anything. I mean, if Emma was around then, to my mind, it would stand to reason that the X-Men would call on her. Again, I don't know whether or not they've been estranged. I don't know how long they've been estranged. I don't know any of that. That's that's all from stories that I skipped. For me, as an ex-lapsed reader, I just assumed that Emma was in, included in the gaggle of psychics that had gone missing. I didn't know that she was an outlier or a former member or barely an associate at this point. Then again, if we go back to read the color books, maybe we'll find out a little bit more about that. Maybe that comes out of the... The Inhumans vs. X-Men thing. Maybe. I don't know. Because I, I I didn't read all of that. That was painful. Uh, the art. Let's talk about the art here. Um, a bit of a letdown. Uh, it certainly wasn't Joe Bennett's best outing. It really didn't even look like his work. Um, maybe it was a rush job. Maybe. Um, maybe his pencils were overwhelmed by the inks. I don't know. I don't, uh, I don't recognize the inker's name. I can't really point... 
to where they might have worked before. Um, whatever the case, I felt it slipped a little bit visually, which, I mean, for an idiot like me who likes to get lost in background details and cameo pointing outing, is a little bit of a bummer. Overall, um, Phoenix Resurrection, The Return of Jean Grey number 3 was a solid, if not slow-moving, middle chapter for this story. Uh, I'm still having a great time with this. Though, as I mentioned a few times, I totally understand if folks feel like this might be a little too slow a burn. Uh, With all that said, I am still looking forward to digging our teeth into the back half of this, and finally, crossing it off our list and no longer being resurrects lapsed anymore. I look forward to hearing some thoughts on whether or not you feel this is going a little too slow, or if you feel it's paced uh, appropriately. If uh, you do feel like letting me know, please feel free. You can find me on Twitter at AceComics or WeirdComicsHistory at gmail.com. If you're interested in seeing some blog posts and show notes, you can head over to Chris'sOnInfiniteEarths.com, and uh, if you want to talk to us about this, that, or the other thing, you can find us on Facebook. Our little group is called 90s X-Men, 90s X-Men, no hyphen. You can find the complete Chris and Reggie audio archives over at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. There you'll find thousands of hours of stuff. Comics-related, mostly comics-related. I'd say 99% comics-related. <laughs> you can find the entire X-Lapsed uh, library there. You can find Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill, Moratory Mondays, The Young Animal and Sandman Gatherums, Comics Talk, Weird Comics History, a whole bunch of stuff. So probably something there you might dig. Uh, I think that's where we will leave it for today. A little bit of a shorter episode today. Um, this is a middle chapter. No matter how much I enjoyed and appreciated it, it's, you know, it is a middle chapter. So this was a lot of getting, you know, pieces into position. Like I said several times to this point, this might be a little slow for some. But uh, I hope you're enjoying the book if you are following along, and I hope you're enjoying the coverage as well. I want to thank everyone for sharing their time with me today. And as always, I will talk to you again real soon. See ya. <laughs>